pre-show real quick. I uh, was in the car and I like to listen to podcasts when we drive and my daughter hates it, but she will put up with it if it's a podcast that I'm on. <laughs> and so she goes, Dad, can we listen to your podcast? All right. I, w- I want to see how Luke did editing anyway, so we'll put it on. <laughs> and so she hears us talking last week about this scissors, paper, rock shoot thing. Later on, she said, you know, Dad, can we play rock, paper, scissors? Yeah, 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 that's it. Can we play it the American way? And I said, yeah, sure. And so we did it, you know, uh, uh, rock, paper, scissors, shoot. And I don't know what I did, a paper or something like that. And she comes out with her her thumb up and her forefinger forward going, (laughs) shoot. (laughs) Making a gun at me. Like, all right, you've got a little Americanized today. Let's uh, fix that. This is why the Aussies changed it. It all makes sense now. It so occasionally um, our daughters will play together, and I'll hear my daughter sharing something that's so American to yours, and it just cracks me up. It, like I, I love that they're getting a little bit of cultural exposure to each other. Uh, how do you guys' kids interact, or how often do they interact? That actually could be a bit of a topic. Oh, so FaceTime, we have we they have iPads, and they get on FaceTime, and. My son and Sadia's son, my daughter and his daughter, they'll play together. And often it's FaceTime plus Minecraft. So they'll be seeing each other uh, and they'll play a Minecraft game together. But it could be something else. Um, sometimes the girls, they just talk. But it, it, generally it's Minecraft and FaceTime together. That's so fascinating. How did they get introduced? Were you guys in the same place for a little bit? and they, Or how did that happen? Sadia, you actually kind of reached out like, hey, can we have them play together? Actually, it was it was my son Ellie. He was like, you know what, Dad? I think I want a friend online. And I said, Oh, I know someone <laughs> online. So, you know, it's it's, it's homeschool vibes. You know, right. he, he just knows what he wants and he he asks for it. And then my daughter was like, Well, hold on. He has a sister. Why can't I be playing too? I, like, let's get in on this. So then yep. they'll they all have iPads and they'll all be. Sometimes all four of them will be playing in a Minecraft world together, and that they're it's pretty fun to listen to them. And they're on FaceTime, which I think works really well for them. And if you don't mind, a little segue here. I was complaining to Joshua before the show, before you got here, Luke. I despise Zoom. I just am so fed up with uh, Zoom. I, yeah. Every time it opens on my Mac, I'm just, uh Tell me again. more. Tell me more. If you look right now in the top left-hand corner of your screen, you'll see Zoom.us, all lowercase. That doesn't make any sense, but... It's more It's more like I uh, click a link and then it takes me to Safari. Why doesn't it just open the app? And then I get an annoying pop-up saying open Zoom. And then I'm trying to do something else at the same time, but suddenly Zoom comes up in front of me and there's a connecting modal that sort of goes in front of whatever I'm doing at this time. It it really bugs me. It it feels like annoying and naggy and a terrible user experience. I, don't, I, don't, I much prefer FaceTime. I was just telling Sadia before that I have felt that the audio quality on Zoom is better than anything else I've used. But the app itself is so frustrating at times. Um, and I don't feel comfortable using FaceTime for cross-platform because maybe it's good enough. Um, I'm just like, well, if I'm going to if I'm gonna talk to anyone, I'm just going to do a Zoom. Yeah, so for my fractional work, I have a calends lead link where people can go and book a book a time on my calendar and I, I get people do that occasionally and because I don't have Google Calendar and, and I don't think Apple Calendar supports adding calendar entries automatically 
So I have to then go and edit the event to create a meeting link. Otherwise, people don't know where to go when the meeting comes up. So I always just use the default built-in Apple Calendar feature of add a FaceTime to this call. And that works. It works really well. If they're on iOS or macOS or iPadOS, they see a nice little link that opens up FaceTime. If they're on Android, which is pretty rare for people to try to join a meeting from their Android device, but or, or if they're on a PC, then they click the link and it opens their web browser and they can join FaceTime from there. I have to say, it is often novel for people. I find that people are like, oh, I didn't know you could do this. That's interesting. Uh, I think it maybe was a feature introduced um, iOS 16. It's pretty new. But it works, and it works really well. And I don't know why more people don't use it. Um, no, I feel like uh, Zoom has kind of just really adopted the make it work, make it fast, make it right, or whatever. Make it whether make it work, make it right, make it fast. They just they got all the features out there. They're kind of clunky. Um, the whole UI is kind of clunky, but it's like, they have the most features out of any of the web conferencing apps, right? Yeah, but how many features of those do you use? Oh, that's a fair I much point. prefer a polished, featureless app, personally. I mean, that maybe that's just my style. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's fair. When you're going for versatility, though, you're all things to all people. When you become all things to all people, you're no things to no one, right? Isn't that? To be fair, Sadia uses mail, calendar, notes, and <laughs> they, for what you've decided works for your workflow, they're fantastic, right? You may be limited on features, but you know what to expect and it just works. And you have so far converted me to calendar and notes. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what the future holds. But you told me you're having some problems with Apple Calendar? Oh yeah, I guess we're getting ahead of ourselves. Well, welcome everybody. This is, uh, we're in episode 18, which seems like a high number. It's crazy. Welcome to episode 18 of Ultra Pro Max. This is the podcast where we talk about app development, uh, the Apple ecosystem, and um, shoot, anything that's remotely related to those things. So uh, yeah, jump into calendar. What's, what's going on there? So I've had a problem now for a year or two where I want to have my personal calendar, which my wife and I share. And I want her and I to be able to add and edit to that as needed, right? That's that's our lives. That's how we function is by having mm-hmm. that shared calendar. But I don't know how people can possibly function without that. I, I run across couples who don't, and I don't understand them, and, but then I do. You know, some, some people go through marriage therapy classes at the start of when they're engaged or whatever. This, this should be part <laughs> of that. We, we need to set up a side hustle, which is tech therapy or something along those lines to new couple all right let's get your lives sorted with your technology that is brilliant well just so i've had some friends where the the wife says they're going to do one thing with their kids that day and then the husband says well actually we have to do this you forgot about this this happens quite often with some of our friends and it mm. my wife and i are not perfect by any means we make tons of flubs logistically but overall we both prefer to the calendar like that is the word of truth it's the calendar and we don't make decisions without it so yeah. I, I set that groundwork for the calendar is so important for it to be accurate. My to-do list and my calendar must be accurate for me to trust them. When there starts to become any points of failure, if you lose data, uh, for me, I've changed note, note docs in the past, Ever, Evernote. I will never go back to them because they lost some data. I just could not trust them ever again after Yikes. that. Apple Notes lo- lost data for me early on. And then I stopped using it for five years because I could not trust it. Finally, I'm, I'm now back, and so far, data is fantastic. So I've got our personal calendars, but then 
I usually have some kind of work-related calendar, right, uh, from a job or from clients. Mm-hmm. And they're always Google Calendar. I've not had an exception to that yet. So then I have to ingest that, um, which is fine. So in the last couple of months, I've pulled everything to Apple Calendar only. But I got a really unique bug that I don't, I do not know how to replicate yet. And I'm glad I'm talking to developers. Maybe you can give me some ideas. If I have Apple Calendar on two, on my wife's iPhone and my iPhone, ingesting the personal calendars and the work calendar, everything is fine. But if on my Mac I have Apple Calendar set up, and I've got two Macs, I've got my personal Mac and my work Mac. I set them all up the same. I checked the settings were all the same. What will happen is I will create an event on my Mac. And then I will go to my phone and the event does not exist. All right, that's fine. That's a syncing problem. I'll go back to my Mac and the event is no longer there. So I cut the Apple Calendar. I removed Apple Calendar from both laptops and I'm only using it on the iPhone and we're okay now. So I, I've, I've, I even, this is a follow-up. I installed Hey Calendar yesterday. I was testing it out properly and then I immediately lost an event. So I generated it on Hey Calendar and I lost it on the mobile. I went back to Hey Calendar. It was gone. So I do not know how to solve this. So I am only using the calendar now on my on my wife's iPhone and my iPhone. I'm not trusting on a Mac. Do you have any ideas how I could – because I want it to be on the Mac. It's so useful how I could troubleshoot mm. that. But just to be clear, you're on your work Mac. You're logged in with the Apple ID, the same Apple ID? Mm-hmm. Same Apple ID. And the settings are identical to my personal Mac. I have not for sure figured out if I, it may have been happening on my personal Mac. And that's what I'm, I'm, I have not been able to isolate yet as well. So listeners, write in if you've got <laughs> any ideas. I think maybe just start with one Mac and see, how, see if it's a Mac issue or if it, it's a two Mac issue. That's maybe where I'd start. That sucks for you though, Joshua. Yeah, so it's gotten me a little bit annoyed because data integrity with yeah. anything I do matters so much. And it's it. I haven't figured out yet if it's every time that I create an event, I lose it, or if it's sometimes. <laughs> so I will say that that has happened to me, actually, but maybe like once every six months I'll notice, oh, I thought I added that as a – I'm sure I added that yeah. as an event. That's the thing. You can't trust yourself either, like – the only time I would lose events is if I don't really remember putting it in the first place. So was it me or was it the calendar? I'll, I'll never know. Well, hard pivot, moving on to world news. A Digital Markets Act in the European Union. There's a fantastic episode of Upgrade that Mike Hurley spent an hour and a half this week talking about the DMA. So I'd like to refer, and Sadi, if you don't mind putting that into the notes, I'd like to refer anyone to listen to that. It's so fantastic. Um, but I'll... I will try a, a very brief summary, and then Saudi will please fill in any gaps that I'm missing. In the European Union, they've come out with the, the DMA, and it is going to come into effect in March. Apple is been, being considered to be put into such a place that they have to open up for alternate marketplaces, meaning we would call it sideloading or alternate app stores, but it's marketplaces specifically, that other... Uh, players such as Epic could come in and create a marketplace for apps so long as it's not only them, so long as other apps can be in that marketplace. And Apple is opening up to developers worldwide, it appears, and users in the European Union can have 
This is, it took Mike Hurley an hour and a half to explain this, so I'm going to try to do this in about three or four minutes. But you got this. <laughs> they'll, have, they'll have this ability to have alternate app stores, essentially, on their iPhones, which is a massive deal that also opens up and extends to a lot of other factors. What Apple has done, then, is taken the letter of the law <laughs> from the DMA as they understand it, and they've created a proposal for how they're going to do this, how app stores can be created, alternate app stores, how companies can use them, how revenue will be shared, how users will be charged, all that. And one of my favorite sec- – there were two summaries that were so good. John Gruber on Daring Fireball had an amazing article, and he summed it up so funny that I loved it. It was basically to the effect of – so what you're saying is Apple is having to submit to a capricious – um, larger um, force and <laughs> give a proposal and then this company will then review it and decide whether or not the, <laughs> the policy fits it just it's How great the tides turn. so yes um, we don't even know if the european union will accept this apple the way it works is apple has to basically say all right here's what we think it is and then it's up to the eu whether or not they accept it or if they modify it so i've listened to multiple hours uh and re- read a lot from various folks hypothesizing on this and i don't know that i have a strong stance other than i'm really interested to see where this goes i i'm interested to see does this spur innovation does this spur additional ideas frankly the european union in my american uh, opinion hasn't had a great track record with trying to create laws for tech in a way that i've found as useful i generally am more annoyed by it so i'll pause asadi i know you've been digesting this a lot as well do you have any takes or thoughts on this I tend to be much more in favor of the European Union's tech laws. I know that GDPR is annoying for a lot of people with those cookie things. And so this is maybe, it's not quite a follow-up to the GDPR, but it's a similar scale, except that it really only targets one company, and that one company is Apple. And it really only targets one platform, too. It, It only targets the iPhone. It doesn't affect Vision OS or iPad OS or Mac OS. It's just for the iPhone. And so Apple's created this system, this set of APIs, a way of working that they think, and and I think most people would reasonably agree, complies with the DMA. The big takeaway is that if you're a developer, you can just stick with the same current terms. You don't have to change a thing. You can keep your 15, 30%, 15% for indie devs and less than a million revenue and 30% after that. And you can continue to distribute on the App Store like you always have. Or if you're in Europe, you can go with the New Deal. And the New Deal is far less of a percentage. And also, and this is where it gets interesting, 50 euro cents per active user, free or paid. And that really changes the business model for a lot of people. I think that that's a a really interesting, clever move. And I don't think we want to podcast too much about it because there is a lot of information out there and a lot of people have spent a lot more time than we have. And I think we'll throw people towards the Upgrade podcast and maybe Gruber's post. Suffice to say that there are some big changes happening in Europe and for users... In Europe, that may mean that there are alternative app stores available for developers. We might see Steam there. I think Epic have announced that they will be. And who knows, there may be the possibility of someone like Meta 
finding some sort of sneaky workarounds. The, the, the money side of things might make sense for Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp to end up on their own marketplaces. And that would be really interesting, but I wouldn't expect that that would happen. So there's a fantastic follow-up. I have to just follow this thread a little bit further. Ben Thompson on Sharp Tech. It's a paid podcast that I listen to. He had a follow-up on the DMA as well. And he, I think Saudi will appreciate this, is about as capitalist as you can get when it comes to like business analysts and like tech and such. And basically, he drew such a great distinction that I really appreciated. I listened to this yesterday. That... Apple has the right to do whatever they want with their platform. And this is what Sadio was saying a couple of weeks ago. This is theirs. They create it. They can do whatever they want. Now, he wants them to do differently, but it is their right to do exactly as they are. And so he has to differentiate what he hopes they'll do with what they have the right to do. Unless a government entity comes, and there's, I guess there's something called a FRAN, which is this thing in America where you can force a... A private company to share resources across other companies if it's considered a utility, a general good for that nation. So he's like, let's be, let's either say that Apple has private right to their own goods, they can do whatever they want, or let's say actually, we think this is so valuable, we're going to take it from them and we'll compensate it. Let's just be, let's be fair. It's either one or the other. To be a middle ground starts to get a little bit messy, and. I think he may have called out what I've been feeling, which is he is mad at Apple because he hopes they'll do better, but it's absolutely their right to do as they're doing. And I, I think that was a great way that he summarized that up. And he called out that if they would give a little bit, it probably would generate a lot more goodwill with developers, but it's up to them if they want to do it or not. Yeah, I think the pushback I've had on previous episodes with Apple's developer relations comes from a unique place in that a lot of the pushback you do here are from seasoned Apple developers. Well, guess what, guys? I'm not a super seasoned... I am an Apple Apple developer, but I'm, I'm pretty new to it. And I've also got the experience of developing for Android. So with that perspective, Apple seems like a fantastic deal. The perspective of a new app developer, from the perspective of someone who's coming fresh to the ecosystem, and from the perspective of someone who's had to deal with Android, man, from that perspective, everything that Apple does is wonderful. And I'm happy to pay the fees that they're asking. And I think that that is maybe a bit of a different perspective from other people who have been doing it forever. And they're sick, sick of Apple's controlling nature, and they feel like they've contributed and they want their, their peace. Fascinating. Well, I guess only time will tell for sure. Speaking of uh, you know big changes like this and things going uh, moving quickly, uh, I noticed in uh, YouTube this morning a little recommended video by MK MKBH. I always slaughter his name. MKBHD Vision Pro uh, is out there. He's giving his reviews. So in forty eight hours, I uh, so so my colleague at at the company I work at, he's going to be getting one. He has glasses, so it has to have a prescription. And he's going to sync it up to his account, but we want to basically use it 50-50. I don't know if that's going to be doable. I don't know if we'll be able to actually do it that way because it really is built as a one-person device. So we're both like this big question mark. How is it going to happen if we're trying to actually share this? But needless to say, if knock on wood, if all goes well in 48 hours, I'll be trying it for the first time. And I am so excited. I, I, I hope that... 
it being me not being the primary person using it won't diminish from like just getting to experience it and hoping hopefully watching it so by this time next week hopefully i'll have something to report back on it um i've been following mkbhc had a great unboxing i've john gruber had like a five thousand word um post about the vision pro which i read happily yesterday was so great um i i think what I'm expecting now, based on all the reviews I've read, Joe Aniston had a great one as well from the Wall Street Journal uh, video, is that it's a great entertainment device. Watching movies is going to be pretty amazing. If I sync it up to my Mac, it'll give me a big screen on my Mac, which is pretty cool. Uh, it'll be pretty interesting, maybe iffy for productivity, and then a big question mark for everything else. So that right now, I'm, I don't know, we'll see. Uh, if I truly get a chance to try it in a couple of days. I'm just excited to see what I think about it. So there's no user profiles on it at all, like a computer would have. It appears that there's one user profile because this was built, I just learned this today, uh, on the backbone of iPadOS, not Mac, right? Mm-hmm. Which means iPadOS is primarily a single user device, right. actually, I think exclusively. I don't think they're building this with the intention that multiple people will use it because it's probably one of the more personal, maybe other than a watch, one of the more personal devices they've created, right? Where it's so customized to one person's body and face. Um, Maybe I will like it so much that I'll just have to figure out a way to budget it this year for myself. I don't know. We'll see what happens. It's just so expensive. I wonder what it will be like with backups. So is there iCloud backups for Vision OS? And if so, can you take a backup, have that stored in iCloud, and then factory reset the device and restore someone else's backup. And now, of course, that's like a process that you don't want to be doing every day that probably will take at least an hour, maybe more. But if you're switching it maybe every two weeks could be worthwhile. We're going to switch it every week if if we can even functionally do that. Um, and what I want to do is be able to actually use it in my day job, right? I want to be able to extend my Mac screen and see if I can actually just get work done on uh, as a designer. Can I pull up Figma on the Mac and a massive screen and just start working? And if I can do that, it might be worth the, okay, now I'm switching it to be um, for my profile for the next week. Um, but I'm not sure. I think it's kind of an odd use case. Figma is a really interesting example of the sort of app you want a native Vision OS app for. Because if you're just using the iPad version of it or if you're just using the Mac version in a window, then it's going to scale, right? That's not necessarily what you want on Vision OS. For Figma specifically, you might want to have like a really wide and and short window wrap around uh, three, 180 degrees and be able to map things out in Figma in 180 degrees because it's this infinite canvas. And that's unique to Figma. But I wonder if there's going to be a, a Vision well, OS Figma app. I would even settle for if Freeform is a good experience, I'd be happy with that because actually I do my thinking in Freeform these days. It's that good of an app. When I need to mm. truly take something to high fidelity uh, with UI, uh, user interface elements and buttons and stuff, then I open up Figma. But up until that point, I'm often working in Freeform, which is a native experience. So for me, as a designer, like, it could be perfect uh, for where I actually like to spend a lot of my day, which is absorb a ton of information, have Freeform open, think, 
share that back to the team. And once it gets to a good point, then I open up Figma. So I, we'll see how it goes. That that to me would be the best way to use it. Can I just put it into my workflow? And if I can, you better believe I'll be buying one at some point in the future. This may be an ignorant question. Do we know if there are any like 3D manipulatable type apps? Like, I'm, I mean, we have the template for it in movies, right? Like I'm just picturing like Iron Man and Jarvis, like he pulls the thing up out of the table and he's doing all this cool stuff throws up like all this stuff around him and he's flicking stuff around are there like 3d stuff like that or is everything pretty still like a single 2d screen in front of you during the last wwdc that was actually i think sadia maybe kind of the inspiration for this podcast sadia's concern right like it's all 2d stuff for the most part Mm. it seems to me that you have the ability to build out a volume that you could do something completely 3d but apple other than the dinosaur encounter hasn't really done too much with that yet and watching movies. So I think it's kind of an open question. What will developers create that are truly 3d experiences? Yeah, I guess we'll never know until it actually happens. Yeah. I really enjoyed I Justine's review and she demos a DJ app that you might like Luke, where it pulls up a turntable right in front of you and you can switch out the records and scratch that turntable and Mm -hmm. things like that. So, there are a few things like that. I'm I'm thinking of the Fruit Ninja, Super Fruit Ninja, I can't remember how it's called, yep. game developed by Brisbane Studio, Half Brick. But aside from those, I don't really know if there's very much. It's definitely not in the focus. Right. Until the developers really get this thing in their hands, they're not really going to be able to dream up or develop anything of that sort. So and Apple spent all their time on the hardware. I don't it doesn't seem like they put a ton of work into the software side of it, right? Like their emphasis was just get the hardware out, see what people can do with it. And let's make the 2D Windows experience work really well. And it sounds like it works at least decently. And they've been able to seed uh, some developers' devices over the last six months. So like Disney, Mm -hmm. they have this. You can sit on Tatooine and watch a Star Wars movie. That's That's pretty pretty sweet. Like I'd like to try that. Um, But what I think will be a big question mark now is now that let's say 50,000 developers have all purchased devices of the vision pros the rumor is 180 to 200,000 sold so far if 50,000 of those went to developers we may start seeing some really cool stuff in the coming year well anyways um speaking of going rogue rogue amiga a rogue amoeba (laughs) what's this it's supposed to get a lot easier joshua tell us about that (laughs) um so uh audio hijack is the app that I use to record myself for the podcast. Rogue Amoeba makes amazing Mac sound apps. So whether it's recording, whether it's editing, they just have this ability to work directly with the Mac's subsystems to hijack your sound, hijack your mics, your speakers. And so I love Audio Hijack in particular because it gives you little blocks that you can drop into this interface and actually visually determine where sound is going to get routed for a podcast. It's such a great app. Apple, yes, I'm a huge fan. So Apple had a security update a couple of years ago that I don't understand all the details fully, but you kind of have to get apps signed. And if an app is going to use subsystems, uh, I may not use the right word, but if they're trying to use like how your sound actually functions, you have to restart your computer and you have to basically on the Mac say, I give this app permission to do anything that it wants with my computer. That's terrifying. There's some terrifying notices you have to go through in order to even get this application installed. And so I'm then trusting Rogue Amoeba to 
make sure they're not a uh, malware or such. Well, they Rogue Amoeba just had an announcement that Apple and a coming update will be making that process much simpler to install their software. The fear was several years ago that the Mac was going to start getting locked down and becoming more like iPad OS. Well, with this update, I am so excited because I've had a few friends. I've told them to go install Audio Hijack, and I immediately have this pause where I'm like, oh, shoot, they're going to have to boot into safe mode. They're going to have to go into recovery, and then they're going to have to <laughs> install this. Yeah. It's gonna, They're going to think I'm giving them a virus. So uh, that's just a small thing that I think will make my life easier. And it maybe goes back to the fear some developers have of how would you get something like Rogue Amoeba's software on the Vision OS or the iPad OS? It is such a cool bit of software, but it gets so deep into the systems. Um, and I'm I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful I get to reroute all my audio. So that's it. Fair enough. So Joshua, is is everyone blogging now? I'm seeing blogs pop up all over the place when I'm looking for uh, little coding solutions. So what's what's your take on? So Sadia and I have been part of the uh, blogging community for a long time, right? Um, I contributed to WordPress. Sadia did. We were part of organizations that heavily helped to shape where WordPress is at today. Um, so I, I, blogging is a bit in my blood of where I've had a blog now for a long time. And it seemed that at the heyday of Twitter and Instagram and Meta, we we had this well, everybody's putting their content into the big platforms. What's the point of a blog? And for me personally, over the last year, since Mastodon and Blue Sky and Threads have all tried to come around, it seems that some people I care about are going back to blogs. And I'm actually kind of excited about that. Blogs aren't perfect. They're messy. Like people have to maintain their own website or use some platform and it's not perfect. But I really like when someone I follow spends the time to put their words on a little website that they care about. Um, I'm I'm excited to see if this has a resurgence. Well, that's interesting, Joshua, because I've thought about, um, you know, when I was in college, we had this class that was like, you know, how to build your developer career or whatever. They had to read this big book. And one of the things this guy in this book talked about a lot was like, you got to have a blog. If you're a developer, you got to have a blog. If you want to like get the good opportunities, you got to get yourself known, get a blog kind of situation. So that's something that's kind of been in the back of my mind for a while. And then seeing that you guys blog so much, I've thought about it some more, but... Um, so I'm just curious, like, what would you guys recommend if you're starting out as a blogger? Would you recommend going on one of these, uh, you know, made for you platforms or getting your own presence? I mean, looking for recommendation, both as like, you know, a f someone that hasn't blogged much, but then also like as someone that's looking for more reach, like those are two concerns there. Don't blog for reach that mm -hmm. that's just going to make you depressed. <laughs> Uh, it, <laughs> I have had so many opportunities come about through my blog, even my wife's blog. I think my first big job offer was someone calling out of the blue saying, hey, I came across you through your wife's blog. What? And I mean, those that was back in the, the heyday of blogging when we'd have blogger meetups and get sponsored to blog about that was that was like the good old blogosphere days. Mm -hmm. So I don't think things are quite like that anymore. But even a month ago, I had someone reach out to me uh, for they're interested in whether or not I'd be a good fit for their startup uh, with a job opportunity there. It didn't turn out, but they said to me, look, the thing that really was attractive 
uh, about talking to you was that I looked at your blog and I noticed this particular post about this particular thing that you've been messing around with. And it was uh, AI and it was maybe Python or Cloudflare or something like this. And that's not they're not tools that I use in my everyday work, but because I've been messing around with them and I just threw quickly what I had up on my blog, all of a sudden I have this opportunity in that space that I wouldn't have otherwise had. I think it's a really good idea to blog. Uh, I don't blog perhaps quite as often as I should, but it's nice to have. I, I second that. If you are trying to get a job or you're trying to um, win a contract, having one place that people go to, which is your website, you know, your .com, if you can have one, I think gives you more clout and credibility. And and often they'll just scroll through and say, oh, he's got a couple of posts. Oh, they, oh he had an opinion on this thing. I've had a few people say, yeah, I ahead of this call, I spent time reading through your blog and I'm really excited to talk to you where they yeah. feel that they have that a little bit of a connection. A yes. Um, and Sadia has sometimes pinged me like, Hey, why aren't you blogging? Sometimes I'll go a year without a blog post. And then other times I'll fire off five in a day. <laughs> and what has really worked for me this year is I use this app called Mars edit on my Mac, which it's a, it feels like a native Mac app that I just type into th this app and I press a button and it sends it up to WordPress and it actually is so much simpler. It feels like a notes doc and then I just press publish when I'm done. It's actually made me write more because of that really nice process. Huh, that's so cool. Yeah, there's some, I mean, there's all these, like you said, Mastodon and uh, there's, you know, there's tons of different platforms where you can put your thoughts and, and kind of gain, uh, not necessarily like a presence or gain reach or anything, but just like gain just, a repository of your thoughts that can you can market yourself with but yeah i just i resonate with that it seems like having everything in one place would be really cool and having your own having that on your own dot com and kind of having your own platform what makes you stand out and makes you seem like a lot more legit and sometimes what i've started to find if if someone asks me for the same thing twice my brain starts to say oh let me write that out as a blog post now, and I'll start to share that link. <laughs> like I had a silly example, a, a recipe for an acai bowl that someone asked for. A couple people asked for it. I'm like, hold on. Let me just write this out, and I'll start telling people where just to go see it on my blog. And it, um, if nothing else, even if I only have 10 readers, sometimes it just feels nice for me to have a public place to maybe vent or just share an idea that I've captured somewhere. And it's not just hidden in a notes document that I'll never see again. Huh, well, that's awesome. Well, last thing on our show notes today, uh, should Slack be on our phones? Uh, and something about do not disturb being permanent. Do not disturb is tricky to set up on your phone. So yeah, Joshua, tell us about that. I've had a love-hate relationship with Slack for a long time. I love it because it's better than Skype, which is what I... Actually, I started on AIM and MSN Messenger, so I've been around for a while. <laughs> um, but Skype is what we used to use for work, and Slack was... Harkening back to the days of IRC chat and just fantastic, this idea of channels. I think Slack is great overall, but I don't believe that I should be on it all day long. I think it's a huge distraction for someone who cares about deep work and actually being able to have your brain go for periods of time and actually focus. If I'm if I have a massive freeform board up and I'm trying to put a bunch of pieces together to think through how an experience will happen on an app... And then I get a little ping on Slack over in the corner. 
it just immediately pulls me outside of all of that. And I've talked to I've talked to developer friends over the years. It's similar, right? You're you're constructing in your mind all these pieces. So I do not have any notifications for Slack at all, um, but I will open it throughout the day to make sure that my team is okay. I'll check on them. I'll see how they're going. And I've had a rule now for about seven years that I I set my Slack status to away permanently, meaning my little green bubble never shows up. And I've tried to encourage other people to do this as well. Slack should be an asynchronous tool. That's the the hill I will probably die on. I do not think it's meant for synchronous communication. That's what a call is for when you think that you need to have it. If I send Sadia an iMessage late at night, I'm not expecting a response right away. It's great if I get one, but I'm okay if I get a response a day later. That allows us to have this asynchronous way of communicating. So that, it's a pet peeve of mine. People, I've had team members who in Slack, they'll say, hey, and they wait for me to respond so that they can capture me in that moment and ask me Ugh. a question. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and I would rather take a moment to compose a thought, drop it into Slack, and then I will follow up with a composed thought. And then if we need to have a sync, we'll do that. But by default, trust the asynchronous tools to work the way they were intended. I'm going to throw this website in the show notes, nohello.com, friend of the show, Western Ruta in introduced me to that uh, and i have sent this to a few people it's one of those like kind of assholey things to send people uh kind of like let me google that for you mm. that's what i was but, just thinking uh, of yes. <laughs> yep but i 100 percent agree i don't use the away thing but i treat slack the same way i treat email which is i open it twice a day and get through all of my messages and quit and leave it quit and I, a few times I've sensed people being frustrated with that approach. And at the end of the day, if anybody is ever going to follow me up on it and say, hey, you should have been on Slack, then the simple response is, sorry, I was concentrating on work. I think that's a perfect answer. That's exactly how I feel. I actually have um, the problem of checking too often. I wish I could only check twice or three times a day, uh, but... I've actually told some bosses, hey, I will check lots of times throughout the day. I just, I have to be off. That's the only way I can focus for an hour or two hours or a half hour is to disconnect. Well, on that note, should we get back to work? <laughs> it's time to disconnect. Time to disconnect. Well, hey, it's been great talking with you too. Uh, and uh, thank you to all our listeners for joining us. Um, as always, we would love to hear from you. Uh, please shoot us an email at email at ultrapromax.fm. Uh, send us some ideas for topics, push back on some of our, you know, theories or thoughts on different things. We would just love to hear from you and uh, we may read it on the show at some point. So shoot us an email. Uh, And with that, uh, it's been great talking with you guys. We'll see you guys next week for episode 19. Take care.